0: like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land and for this episode in particular the Gadigal people. I pay
1: my respects to their elders past present and emerging. Sommeliers can you know open customers eyes up so wide and it's 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 a joy and they can do that with the confidence because they've got the backup of education. Like I think that gives you confidence to be truly great at your job. This is Over a Glass.
0: I'm Shante Whale. Annette Lacey is one of Australia's leading wine figures. Her sommelier career has reached the apex of this country's restaurant scene. Today she holds the title of Group Beverage Manager for Solitel. Oh yeah, she's also a master of wine and one of the most likeable wine professionals I've met. Hiya Annette, thanks for joining me. Hi hey, Shante, how are you? I'm very well. Annette, let's start a little bit at the beginning of your journey. Where
1: did it all start in hospitality for you? Uh, from a, uh, I suppose I I actually did hotel management uh, studies, so I always kind of wanted to get into hospitality. And so you could say I'm a true long-term hospital person. And then I, I thought I wanted to work on front desk, but I realised that wasn't as fun as working in restaurants. So I went over to restaurants and started working um, as a restaurant manager. So, um, and my last restaurant, like working on the floor job was actually at Bank with all the other amazing people that have come out of that restaurant over the years. And what what do you think drew
0: you into like wanting to work in hospitality? Was it that you liked food? Was it you thought it was kind of a vibrant scene? Why do that and not a different vocation?
1: Look, I think um, I didn't. I was very naive about food, I think, you know, and I think back then in Australia, we didn't know a lot about food. But once your eyes are open to the amazing food that was being created in restaurants, it was like, oh my God, this is such an amazing job and life to be part of. And I was just hooked. And just the vibrancy, you know, hospitality people, when you find a great restaurant to work in, they become your family. So I really love that. And I, I haven't worked in like a corporate nine to five job, so I can't even tell you what that would be like and if it's the same. But, you know, I've got friends that I've had from HOSPO from when I started. So I think that's kind of testament to the people that go into this industry. Mm.
0: Yeah, you do kind of become thick and thieves. I don't know if it's got something to do with the pressure, you know, in a high-paced environment, but you you do end up making lifelong friends and and – and they tend to be people of all different kind of characters, don't they? You, you don't get one kind of cookie cutter personality out of hospital. You kind of have the whole range.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, you know what they say, what happens on shift stays on shift. You know, <laughs> you you really get in the trenches and there's some, you know, you can lose it, especially in the beginning when you kind of haven't learned how to manage the stress and pressure, but, you know. At the end of the night, you're having a drink and a laugh, and you know talking about the customers, you just forget it all. Which no one holds a grudge. It's just yeah, it was busy. We were crazy, and um, um, you know, move on. Tomorrow's another day. So, and yeah, I love the. I love that everyone's a little bit different. <laughs> as well. A bit, little bit out there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It's colourful and
0: that's great. So when did the kind of wine and beverage steal and kind of shift your focus
1: in that way? Um, I'd run a few restaurants and I did really love that. You know, the, you know, working with people is probably the best part of being a restaurant manager, both the staff and customers. But Oh, I have told this story a few times, but one day um, we had this wine tasting, and I hadn't really ever paid attention to the wine side of the business because we had someone that looked after all the beverage, and uh, they it was um, the old Moet Hennessy, uh, whatever it. I can't remember what it used to be called before it was became LVMH. But uh, the guy came in with Krug, and I'd never had Krug, and I was like okay, yeah, I'll sit down and try this wine. And when he started talking about it, like the layers and the complexity and the the ripeness of fruit and then the, you know, the oak tones underneath, I was like, oh, my God, I actually, I can actually understand what he's talking about. And I was like, what is this wine caper? I have to be part of it. It just sounds, this is so interesting. It just was just like a light bulb moment and that was it. I then went to um, bank and started working on the floor as a wine waiter because I was like, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. I need to go work at somewhere that's got a, a fantastic list under someone that's amazing, and that was basically it, really.
0: How amazing. And I, lo- I love um, – well, it, it's amazing, first of all. I mean, I can totally understand why Krug was the wine that kind of started it all. Incredible, incredible beverage. Um, (laughs) to this day, like, I think doesn't matter how, you know, how far you go up that tree, Krug is still always one of those drinks everyone's in awe of. But, um, in terms of like going through the process, did you just immediately start researching about wine? You know, I mean, like you said, Bank is an amazing place to work with a huge wine list. So how did you get the confidence to kind of get into it and, and start working on the floor?
1: Well, I, um, I think I actually, I think the first wine course I did, now you're making me dredge back through my memories, I think I went to the Wine Society and they had like a little wine and cheese kind of course and I just really loved it. And then I, because I'd been a manager in a lot of restaurants, I knew Jan and Liam Tomlin and I just went to them and said, can I come there? Um, I'll start as a waiter but I really want to get onto the wine team. And they just gave me a chance, like, because I was, I was actually a really good waiter, probably. So <laughs> that really helped. And I understood the concept of hospitality and how to look after customers. So they'd seen me in action. So I don't think it was a big stretch. And Remy Bancal was the head SOM at the time. And he just took me under his wing. And he was tough. He, you know, he'd put a glass in front of me and go, what is this? And he would be like, geez, hang on, I'm just, I'm new to this game. I don't even, you know, it's white wine kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was great. You know, the French, are, they have a great concept of, you know, getting you in the deep end pretty quickly from a wine perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds terrifying now, but I think that we've all had someone in our life that kind of, put us on the spot and, and you either floundered, which you probably did at the start, or or you stepped up or you followed it up with, I've got no idea, but I'm going to go research it. And I think it's it's probably a good thing because there are going to be lots of times where someone's going to ask you about a wine and you may not know and you have to kind of dig deep and, and have a response at the time. And maybe that is, I absolutely don't know, and but I'll find out for you. So it's not the worst thing to put someone on the spot, I think.
1: No, and I think that's the hardest thing. And I I know even when I was, you know, starting, I would try to answer the question. I hadn't realised that you really needed to. You, there's people and customers that are far more experienced than you, even now that in areas, you know, they're just a massive burgundy person and they know absolutely everything that you possibly can't know because you've got a breadth of knowledge, not so much the depth that some of these enthusiasts have. So, you know, oh yeah. I think you um you learn pretty quickly that you you have to seek help because you can't know everything and not in the beginning. And some people were really nice about it. And um, you know, I remember once I um I'd served a, a <laughs> this is so bad. I'd served a corked wine to a table and I'd smelt and I knew it was wrong and it was like my first or second week, I said, like, Oh, it doesn't quite smell right. And the one of the other sommeliers came over and he goes, You have to go to the table, pick up all the glasses, and um, and apologize. Do you know what I mean? And I was mortified, but you know what? It taught me, you know, I knew that there was something wrong with it, but I just did it. I don't know why, and I was it was the best lesson I ever learned because I was like, Never so." and I'm so paranoid about cocktail now, so it's really. You know, these things make you, right? Absolutely. And I think I I love that. Like there was an instinct there,
0: but I mean, to kind of go, oh, that wine doesn't seem right maybe I'll take it to someone and tell them it's not right. I mean, it, it's presumptuous, you know, and, and, but, I mean, what a moment. And, yeah, I can imagine how hard to kind of apologise to the guests, which, let's face it, maybe they didn't even know and they would have drunk it anyway, but definitely the right thing to do from whoever was telling you <laughs> to go and apologise. I, I respect them for that. But was wine a feature kind of in your household? Do you remember your, your parents drinking wine or collecting
1: wine? No, Mum always had a cask in the fridge, you know, the old cask wine days. But, no, they, they. I think they weren't big drinkers back then. I think if they had a dinner party or something. I, but I don't remember wine ever um, <clears throat> being in the family kind of house at all actually. So, no, no. So I don't even know where it's kind of come from. I vividly remember my first Lambrusco. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. This is, like, sweet. But then I went to mixed drinks like all teenagers. And then when I came back to wine, it was to the beautiful, dry and balanced sweet wines of the world. Well, you, yeah, you skipped over
0: some some disasters, which is a good thing. But we can thank the likes of Krug for you being in the wine world now. Uh, what about your family now? I mean, now that you're an MW and your whole world is, you know, Full of delicious drinks. Uh, do they join you in the in the beverage enjoyment?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my husband loves wine, and so does my daughter. Uh, they're all legal drinking age. I'll just put that out there. Uh, they both and my son as well. They all um, they all like wine. I think the like the young, the young people of today. They like you know they still love the seltzers, and that's very fashionable. But I think um. If I've got a nice bottle open and we're having dinner, then they'll often have a glass. But they don't drink a lot as well during the week and I don't really want to encourage, you know, drinking. But, yeah, they they really do like wine, which is great. And I think they've been a big part of my MW journey as well. So they've kind of hopefully they understand how to respect and enjoy wine. Not It's not just a vehicle for getting drunk and stuff. So I think that hopefully that's working.
0: <laughs> I'm sure watching you, they would understand that it's really such an amazing art form. But um, before we get to your MW stuff, I do want to talk a little bit about becoming a West Set educator. You were also my first West Set educator, which was amazing. I think you'll always remember the person when you first start studying that's standing up before you talking about wine, because you really do think that they know absolutely everything and you're just so in awe of all the names and the way that you spoke and I'll never ever forget my first few lessons doing Wesset. So, tell me about that side of things. When did you just decide you wanted to do some teaching?
1: Well, I'd been... So I I was still like I had some two children and I was working part time selling wine, which I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's a really it's really hard to do because you've got to create new opportunities, meet new um, people, and it's a lot different different from being on the floor where you've got a captured audience. You know, you're going to sell them wine when you're in a restaurant, no matter what, but when you're out going to retail you know you've got to you've, it's it's a long haul so i i did that part time and i was still working in restaurants part time as a som and then um an opportunity came up at sydney wine academy to do some teaching so i thought oh well you know i've i've done wset let me go and um apply and i just applied and the way it works is you can teach only if so if you've done West at level three, you can only teach two and under. And if you've done four, you can only do three and under, etc. So I then finished my level. Uh, I'd done one and two, but I hadn't finished. I'd started level four, but I'd got pregnant. So I just thought I would really like to see if I like this teaching. And I loved it because you meet some great, you meet all the up and coming people and, you know, it's really quite rewarding when everyone passes or when you go out for dinner and you see your students, but it also probably helped me decide, I think I can go for MW as well. So that constant reinforcement of information, you know, it's, and the wine of what, the world of wine, sorry, changes so rapidly, you know, it's good to stay in touch and, you know, once you stop studying, it's very easy to forget, you know, the basics as well. So you're always on your... You know, always on your game because you know there's some curious people out there that are really going to push you as well, which is also great because uh, you know everyone loves a challenge. I, I, I imagine that for me, a lot of the kind of
0: facts and figures of of and contextual information that you need to know about wine, it is really a little bit about that kind of repeat that that kind of you know, constantly talking about it that really helps cement some of that information. So, I can imagine that when you're teaching, you know, that stuff just kind of falls into your brain and kind of sits there for a while once you've said it a few times. So, I can imagine it can be really helpful as a tool for your own journey in wine as well.
1: Oh, yeah. like the And, you know, even my dad always said education is the best tool you can ever have in your life. And, you know, Hospitality gets a bit of a bad rap because people don't regard it as a real job. But doing things like the MS and WSET, this gives this adds credibility and you know, like an official kind of congratulations kind of thing. Like you, you have studied you, you do take this seriously, and I think you know that's why you know sommeliers in restaurants can really make or break people's journey in their venue because, you know, some sommeliers can, you know, open customers' eyes up so wide and it's, it's, it's a joy and they can do that with the confidence because they've got the backup of education. Like, I think mm. that gives you confidence to be truly great at your job. I think it's one of the things, I'm
0: going a bit off topic here, but I think it's one of the things that I think about and I did think about a lot when I worked in restaurants, is that what is the way forward for the industry? And I used to think, you know, this kind of boom that we've seen of sommeliers and people wanting to be involved in wine and wanting to further their education has been really beneficial. But I was frustrated in my time because there wasn't that kind of outlet for the other roles that are in the front of house. And I just thought, you know, like you said, this is a real job. It takes huge amounts of skill, but we need to have more of these kind of learning uh, facilities for all the other jobs, like what it means to be a great waiter and what it means to be a great restaurant manager. And I, I just felt that there was lots of opportunities for sommeliers and chefs, but
1: not a lot of opportunities for, for the other roles. Do you feel that way? Uh, look, I agree a hundred percent. You know, if you're in Europe, you know, you are highly regarded if you're a head waiter or you know whatever job it is you know it's it's all about the respect so I I, and I think the bar side as well there's no formal training and you know that you know they're the magic makers as well you know you start Mm -hmm. with a great cocktail and then the the, that's the the start of the night and it can only get better and I think also a Mm -hmm. great host maitre d restaurant manager can also do the same thing and I don't understand why there's not more formal qualifications because, you know, how many Australians eat out? Like we're we're a we're a nation of people that eat out and drink out, you know. We love to do it. So I don't know I don't understand either. I think there's a massive gap in the market. And I I, I think that anyone that knows
0: me and listening, especially people that worked with me at Key would very much say, just stay in your lane, Shante, because I don't, you know, I couldn't solve all the problems of hospitality (laughs) and I needed to just focus on wine and my (laughs) team. But I I just think it's a shame because like you said, what the, uh, maybe it's because it's so hard to put, um, you know, a kind of a to Z list of the skills that you need, like how do you, how do you quantify what makes a great bartender when they're doing a million jobs at once and they're having six different conversations with people in front of them and they've got all the kind of charisma, like maybe it's just too difficult perhaps, but I would like to see that evolve in Australia because I think that that is the future of us continuing to have great restaurants and being able to pay staff for their skills and reward
1: them in ways that they totally deserve to be. Mm, I look I, I agree and I, I I mean it needs to be a formal education mm. establishment and I don't know who would take it on but you know I just you know maybe it should be restaurant and catering or you know whatever I, I don't know I, I, I and also sometimes you know that that skill, It's you. You're born with it. It's an innate skill. You understand how to look after people, and some Mm -hmm. people have it. And I mean, I'm sure you've worked with terrible restaurant managers in your time, Mm -hmm. you know, and terrible, you know, bar people that can't make a decent martini or margarita. So, where, I think, soms, you're driven by passion. You know, you you're you're not doing that job because it's a fill in while you're at uni. You you've chosen that career, and you're naturally curious to learn more and more because, you know, you peel off one layer and there's 500 underneath. So I think, yeah, I don't know, maybe because chefs and soms have that more superstar status that the restaurant management side gets left behind, but it's, it's the hardest job of all, mm. being a manager. I really think so.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And and all the personalities that come with it and all the ways that you have to be able to manage them is a true skill. Luckily, I've worked with only pretty much amazing managers, so I, I feel very lucky. But Let's move on to, before we solve um, the hospitality crisis, <laughs> let's move on to the Institute of the Masters of Wine. Can you give me a little bit, for people that don't know much about it, someone like myself who hasn't particularly looked into it, to it a lot, I'm just in awe, can you tell me a little bit about what is the Institute of the Masters of Wine, why does it exist, and, and how does one
1: go about becoming part of the program? So... Uh, I think it was established in the 50s, 60s sometime. Um, So it's a London-based association. So it's not attached to any universities, but it's the highest level of wine knowledge and education in the world pretty much. I don't really know how else to say that. So it's it's usually on uh, retail and restaurant and wine trade people, Uh, do an exam so there's an entry exam to get in and um, it's a course of um, however long you need to take although there is some limits on it now but it's um, it's basically you sit a a series of uh, blind tastings so By the time, so there's stage. Sorry, I should go. There's stage one, which where you're kind of eased into the program. Then stage two is where kind of you're ready to go, but you need to probably uh, get your knowledge a little bit deeper and practice some tasting. So the exams consist of 36 blind wines and 13 essays over four days. So um, that's the first part of the exam you need to pass before you can proceed to the final part, which is writing a 10,000-word research paper. So uh, there's about 407 in the world today and there's 27 in Australia. So, you know, each country, the biggest contingent would be in the UK. And I suppose in... um, you know, in England, because they have such, there, there is that's the largest amount of MWs globally. They have a very strong presence. Where in Australia, we're trying to work on people understanding who we are and what we do. You know, we can provide education, consulting. Um, you know, we work in a whole different range of. Um, Jobs from uh, winemakers to um, educators to consultants to uh, you know so a whole range. Hospitality, obviously, that's me. Um, and yeah, it's it's probably the hardest thing you'll ever do, but also the most rewarding. So um, yeah, I, I and the way that you would your entry route into MW is through WSET. So winemakers will get in because they go to university to do their uh, viticulture and vinification degree or orniology. And then um, but if you're not, if you're like on the floor or, you know, you work in a restaurant or in a bottle shop, you would do WSET level four and that's pretty much gets you uh, to sit the entrance exam. Oh,
0: shit a brick. It's... um, (laughs) it's I mean, it's a lot. Uh, uh, I find it quite hard to comprehend. Actually, the just the sheer amount of work and challenge and fortitude you must have to get through it. How long did it take you to start and finish the process?
1: Uh, so, from start to finish, it took me ten years. <laughs> So it took quite a while. I mean it just says so much about you
0: really it does because um I can't imagine how it must affect everything that you're doing you're also working full time in a in a huge role um, you know does it did it affect you know family life does it I mean it, they must go on the journey with you as well to watch you just you know
1: go through this over ten years uh so I also had, uh, so I've just quickly looked up. It was established in 1953, so just to make sure I'm getting it right. Um, look, t- it took 10 years, but I had two young children, so <clears throat> and I was working part-time and then full-time. So you kind of have to think about, you know, how you've got to balance out your your home life and your work life and then your study life. And, yeah, I couldn't have done it without the family. Like, that was the biggest support. And I also think when I finally deci- when I decided to do it, I thought, oh, um, uh, it'll kind of be like diploma. I didn't really understand the sacrifice and the time it would take, to be honest. And I think also have not having gone to university, also I didn't have the formal uh, – training to write in the Oxford way of writing for the essay. So there was a lot of self-taught education in there. And I think a lot of Australians were not taught how to write essays correctly at school, to be honest. So this becomes a problem. You learn at university, but obviously I didn't have that opportunity. So I did have to dig pretty deep. But, you know, I think, and I say this, lots of people ask me, you know, you know, I'm really thinking of doing the MW, you know, and which is great. Like we'd love to have as many people as possible join the Institute. So that is really great. And I just say to people, you know, it will take up a lot of time. Don't underestimate the, the amount of things you might have to miss out on. But I always made sure I went to all kids, all the children's sport. You know, I did as much pick up and drop offs. You know, always made that. You know, always made their lunches. There were things as a mother I wanted to make sure I did do because you only get one chance at your children as well. But um, you know, they, they, they. I also think that watching me study helped them understand how to, you know, what work ethic meant, what tenacity not giving up, you know, it's probably the first time you see failure is in the MW program and that's not a negative. That's you're going to fail but it's going to make you better. And uh, I think, you know, they saw me pick myself up and I didn't throw my toys out of the cot and say I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, well, you know, I failed. Where did I go wrong? How do I fix this? You know, so I think all of that but (laughs) the kid talking about the kids helping I used to for the practical side of the um the exam I would you'd have to basically try wine every day so I would have these little bottles in the fridge and they were numbered and on a spreadsheet and I would get my son to pour them for me before he went to school which I don't even know if I should be saying this on the podcast but anyway (laughs) he wasn't drinking and, and and he got to school and the you know they had show and tell and they said oh What did you do this you know how was your morning this morning he said oh yeah I poured wine for Mummy," and it was like oh my gosh (laughs) it's not what you think it's really not what you think I'm, I'm spitting I promise but um yeah they you know I think they you know I think they're proud of what I've achieved and I think you know it's also due to them as well you can't do this alone you can't do it without people. You know, you've got a tasting group, you've got an essay group. You know, you've got mentors all through the way, so you're you're constantly supported to get through. But at the end of the day, it's it is a singular pursuit. So, got to get a little bit obsessed about it. I think.
0: Oh, I I could talk to you all day about this because I I think that you know it, it's just. It seems out of reach, I think, for so many people. And for me, my understanding of the people I've met that are MWs, I've always thought they're highly intellectual. They are people that can write a thesis a day. They're just so, you know, they're so affluent. They're just so beyond what I imagine of myself. And I think it's so interesting to hear, like you said, even talking about writing an essay. I mean, you know, I... I agree with you. I don't think that we, we are taught properly. I remember get, getting to university and going, what do you mean I have to like do references? What the hell is that? And I was like freaking out. I was like, I don't know what that means. And I don't think my essays were very good. I might have done, a, you know, advanced English, but I still don't think I can write an essay well. But um, so it's so interesting that you say that. And I just, I mean, hats off to you because I just think 10 years and, and everything you've done being a mum running restaurants and just amazing Annette and talk me through the moment when you passed because there's this incredible photo of you holding up your MW and there's so much emotion on your face that when I I saw it I actually felt quite emotional myself so talk me through the moment where you realized you'd passed
1: uh- well, there was quite a few failures in between. So you would get uh, notified via um, email because, you know, they mark the exams in the – well, they mark them all over the world, but the institute controls the results. And I'd actually been teaching WACT and I, I knew the results had come in and um, uh, I, I I was teaching. I went, oh, I'll open it later. I don't want to cry in front of the class, you know it was my last go. And I thought, I'm, you know, I can't sit it again. And I got home and I was sitting in the car and I thought, oh, let's rip the bandaid off. You know, I'm sure I failed, you know, whatever, I'll deal with it. And I, I opened the email and in their very beautiful English, you know, we are so delighted to let you know that you've passed. And I like, Oh my god! I, I, am I reading this right? And I ran upstairs and I said to my son, "Does he say I've?" And I just went mental then. And I just, you know. But that that the hard part is passing the exams. You still have to write <clears throat> a research paper. But I suppose the photo that you saw is when you actually realise it's real. So that the mm. ceremony is the the you walk. It's like. Kind of walking down the aisle. I mean, I know you've walked down the aisle, and you know that nervous excitement, petrified, happy—that whole thing. But when you get it, and you just—it's just pure elation. You know, it's just one of those things. Then you, you're happy for yourself. You're happy for your family. You know, you you did get through. But you know, there's so many wonderful people, really great people in the wine industry that have also been studied, I've studied with and they haven't got through. So it's, Mm. it's just, you know, it's mind boggling as well. So, you know, you're, you're doing it for kind of everyone as well. I think that, you know, you can get through this little Australian on the other side of the world and, you know, we want wine to be demystified. We, you know, that's what really needs to happen for, you know, the Institute to be successful is, you know, we need more people drinking wine. Not to make it so, so we don't want it to be intellectual. Wine is a drink to be enjoyed. That should be full stop. Yeah, I
0: totally agree with you on that. And I think that, like you said, we want the industry to thrive. We want it to to blossom and continue to get better and better. And for that to happen, we have to ha- take off that elitism and 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 continue to realize, you know, take our head out of our ass. Sometimes I think a little bit when it comes to wine, but I mean. I can't imagine that moment for you. It's just truly amazing. And I agree with you because there are a lot of people that I know have tried for it um, that are incredibly intelligent people and have such wealth of knowledge. And and I and I think I don't kind of ever judge someone if they've got and you know initials after their name have uh, done that or this or that most of the people that I looked up to in this industry have been in it for a long time and know so much and it's hard to quantify them you know it's kind of by saying oh they won this award or they did this or it's like oh they're just a boss they absolutely legends of the Australian wine industry so but amazing amazing I I just think that that's so special. And thanks for telling me a little bit about it because, um, we, like you said, we want to encourage people to get involved, to look into it, maybe push the boat out and, and wonder if it's possible that perhaps they could go about it as well. Do you know the numbers of female MWs in the world?
1: Uh, it's about 40%. So it's really, really a solid amount. Like uh, it's really wonderful to see. It's between thirty five and forty percent female. So, and I think when it first started, it was all male. So, I think it's, you know, they're a very diverse, inclusive um, association. So they, you know, we, you know, we've got also scholarships for people that might be marginalised for, you know, where they live or they can't afford to join the program. So they're very much about diversity and inclusion. And I know at that ceremony they had, you know, they were celebrating that, you know, we're nearly becoming, it's getting closer and closer to 50% male, 50% female. So it's not like the old days. Like I'm sure when you, you were the same, you'd go to a wine dinner or a wine tasting and you'd be the token female I think that's changed a lot and it's been you know for the better you know we do have better palettes females you know that don't you I definitely
0: know that (laughs) (laughs) and that's what kind of doesn't surprise me now that when you kind of look at those numbers you're like there's an absolutely wonderful representation they are also um a lot more transparent, I find, than some exams in terms of that you can read all the past exam papers, which is what an amazing tool for anyone just kind of, you know, wanting to go back and and, and or look forward and go, you know, what, what, what am I in for? I think that that's wonderful that they keep all that information up there. Um, in terms of costing, you know, it is an expensive endeavor as well. Would you say that there's a lot of your own
1: money that you need to put in? Oh well, like I've I self I was self funded, so I had um, uh, some of my jobs would help me go to the seminars. So you know that it is expensive. I think that is a barrier to entry, and um, yeah. you know if you work for a great company, hopefully they'll pay some of the um, the fees. But that's why you need to get into groups so you can you know you can share bottles of wine, and that's why I put wine in littler bottles because you know, you can't afford to buy Grand Cru Burgundy or all of these things all the time. So you really need to uh, find a way to be tasting those wines without outlaying bucket loads of cash because it is expensive. But I would say that, you know, MS would probably be the same. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe save a little bit of money and get into groups and that's a way to make some cost savings. But, yeah, it is expensive, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, but at the end of the day, you need to have that bank of knowledge of what the great wines of the world look like. And I suppose, you know, having roles and jobs in hospitality where you perhaps buy things at cost and then, like you said, you can use your village that you need to kind of share that, you know, seven hundred and fifty mil bottle into you know 60, 90 mils, and then a lot of people can learn from it. Um, I was going to ask a little. What was I going to ask you? I was going to ask um, in terms of what what doors does an MW open up? Like, what does that mean for your future, or for for somebody that then says, "Why go? Why go through all this?"
1: <laughs> well. Uh, for me, I think that you need to be doing it for yourself. Like I think if you're doing it to get a better job, it might not work out that way. Like I, in America, it is uh, definitely, having spoken to USA MWs, it is definitely you get a pay pay rise straight away and all of this stuff. Australia is different. You know, there there isn't a lot of MWs, but also there's not a lot of jobs as well that – would require someone at that level, and just because you've got your MW doesn't mean you're good at the the job that might be associated with it. So I mm. think you need to be good at the job you're at, and then you know hopefully you can use your MW for leverage as well, mm. if that makes sense. Mm.
0: Um,
1: it's I, I'm I'm unsure in um, in the UK, but I suppose you know I have got some consulting work and you know like talking and presentations and stuff and i suppose even i forget that i'm an mw sometimes and you know you forget that people really want you know they really take notice so that's been um that's kind of fun and you don't you don't ever go into the depth that you would go into for your studies because you also have to read the room and remember that most people are wine enthusiasts they're not wine nerds like I could get really nerdy if I needed to. But, you know, you've also got to keep it simple. You want to keep people engaged in wine. So I don't think it necessarily will, but it could. And we're hoping in the future that those two letters after your name will open doors. But Australia Mm. is still, I think, in its infancy of, you know, population and, you know, what we can do here as well. Hmm.
0: I love that and I, I, I appreciate your honesty because I think that um, I think you're totally right in terms of those jobs in Australia are, are kind of few and far between at the moment and like you said it's not just restaurant jobs it's all kinds of jobs whether it be writing or, or consultancy or so it, it's interesting and, and I think like you said getting into it it, it really needs to be something you desperately want for yourself um, and, you know, are willing to really dig deep to, to get to. Um, I want to ask a question that has, was brought up with a couple of wonderful women in wine today when I was talking to them very early this morning, and that was about imposter syndrome. And I was wondering, does someone like Annette Lacey, MW, still get imposter syndrome? Because we were talking about it as a bunch of females and saying, why, when it really comes down... To the kind of stepping up to the line, do us females occasionally get this imposter syndrome? And, and I often use my other female friends to kind of say, "Oh, I'm kind of really nervous about this, or I'm not sure." And then, of course, they all turn around and go, "What is wrong with you?" But do you still get that sometimes? Um,
1: I I think I suppose when when I think having the MW has given me an amazing amount of confidence where I know my worth and I think sometimes I would probably throw it back and say maybe the other person that you're feeling impostering about or if even that's a word, maybe they don't know your worth. Like I don't, I don't, and I think this is the problem, you know, when you're a mother you go, am I good enough? You know, we're always questioning ourselves and I actually refuse to do that now. I know I'm good, Mm -hmm. I know i I do what I do, I do what I love and I hopefully I inspire people. But I, I think when I was younger I might have felt a bit of imposter but I just don't let it happen now. Like I, I refuse to let someone bring me down and I know they don't do it intentionally and it's all in your mind but we've got to believe that we are, you know, we're great people. We, you know, we've got wealth of knowledge We've got kindness and compassion. If we should never feel that we can't do something or we're not good enough, we can do anything we want to do. We just have to have the courage to do it. And you know, you and I don't want to get on a sermon, but men never have imposter syndrome because they've got this. Well, they might a little bit, but they have this amazing confidence. We should have we should have the same thing, and we should just believe in ourselves because mm-hmm. we're we're equal to men. Maybe not physically, but definitely mentally and emotionally. So I think we sh- we have to brush that aside and not even discuss it because you just have to mm-hmm. say, "I am great. I am really good at what I do," and and I'm going to prove it. I also sometimes think maybe
0: that men do get imposter syndrome, but because they're you know, their makeup is so different to us, they don't voice it. Whereas women, we are designed to talk and discuss. And so, perhaps that their little imposter syndrome is just not shared with anybody, but they still feel it. And I thought, you know, that's that kind of makes more sense to me because I think, you know, what are they what was that um analogy where a woman looks in the mirror and goes oh you know my I'm getting a double chin and my boobs are sagging and I've got those wrinkles and a man kind of put, sticks his beer belly out and slaps it on the stomach and goes mm, I look pretty good <laughs> <laughs> um but I don't know I mean I think I think you're you're so right we we have so much to offer in the world and um I I have to talk myself off a ledge at times and say you know you know um, you, you, you've you got to where you have for a reason and, you know, any challenge you've faced, you can do it. So sometimes I think it is just having that
1: moment with yourself. and, and <laughs> yeah, You just need to give yourself a little slap and go, come on. But we're, we all get nervous. Like that's just, that's natural. That means you care. Yeah, if you're a bit a little bit jittery, you're like, oh, you're like, that's good. You want to have that adrenaline edge because that's going to push you through. And when it's over, people go, oh, you're amazing. You're like, oh, what's I? Oh, thanks. You know, you, you know, it's all, it's all good. Um, talking about your role today,
0: I was having a look because I know Solitel is such an amazing beast, but 28 venues from bars to pubs to restaurants. How do you manage to stay connected to so many vet- venues and how do you approach, you know, beverage when it's, So many different styles of venues. Um,
1: well, we uh be very organized, that's probably the first (laughs) thing. Um, I try to be very organized, and the next thing is also you know, give a lot of power to the venues to to excel because they all I mean, I, I need as many people in our business to uh be interested in wine because that's going to make my job easier. We put, um, a lot of our teams that are interested through WSET. So we try to educate them as well. And, you know, they come back and they're really energetic and focused and they really want to, you know, own their wine list. And I just basically oversee it or make suggestions because they're in venue and I want them to be selling it. Uh, you know, I've got a very small team that I've only got a group bars person who I work with and the two of us are kind of running around a little bit crazy but um, you know we it's it's all about making sure we get into venue and talking to people and listening to them and trying to give them the tools to be successful in their business so we're and also keeping it really ever-changing so that you know our customers will be wanting to come to our venues because the beverage offer is so great so just trying to you know maneuver that it is it is busy but it's also about empowering the teams and giving them education keeping organized touching base you know and doing all that i like we um when i first started we had quite a small we had a very small sommelier team but now we've got 10 soms in the business on the restaurant side. So that's been really great. And just, you know, we have we have got it for the pub side. We've got um, a creative beverage program. Every month there's some creative beverage day where things are, you know, discussed, explored, experimented. And we do a, a deep dive of education for the sommelier team as well. We go on trips, you know, as much um, – collegiate kind of as much as possible spending time to nurture them so that they one Mm. stay engaged and stay with Solitel as well that's you know retention is really important so they're the most important people in our business our beverage all the everyone in our business is important but saying beverage is my focus you know we invest a lot of time and effort into keeping them engaged and challenged Mm. i love that you talked about giving them
0: um, ownership because when you when you have a list that you've you know even if as a young som you've kind of made a suggestion and someone's looked into wine when you when you feel a part that you've made a part of that list and that you're a part of the decisions even in a small way let uh, all the way up to being a head som who can kind of say yep yeah, I've helped create this there's just so much power in that and it's wonderful that you are giving that back to um to the the people that you're
1: talking talking about, and the people you look after, and you know, as a sommelier, if I was telling them what to list, I wouldn't have any sommeliers. <laughs> like I wouldn't work for someone that did my list. You know, that's not the point. Didn't you, you know, hmm. that you need that creativity? You need that ownership from a head sommelier perspective. And I know what, having been one, I know that I want to control the list. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where the, such joy comes in. It's also where you make mistakes, but, um, you know, when you get up to an accept an award and you know that you've played a small part in it, it's, yeah, it's so joyous. Uh, if you were, I want to ask you one more question, um, and that's if you were hiring a wine professional now, even if it's a head som, but, or a junior som, uh, bartender, whatever it may be under, under your umbrella, what are the main, um, Skills that you're looking for, like what are the kind of the main that when you first clock them and you sit down, what 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 are you kind of ticking off your list?
1: So, um, definitely having done some some either MS or WSET, even if they've just started at the intro introductory level two uh, level, because it it's showing to me they've got the the drive to want to educate themselves. Um, and then enthusiasm, we had a great uh, waiter and um, she had expressed an interest in wine, but she had no knowledge, but she was fantastic on the floor. Now we took her under our wing and as a junior SOM, uh, she's just finished level three and she's one of the junior SOMs at ARIA. So we don't require necessarily experience on the floor, it's about understanding hospitality. It's about do you know how the restaurant works? Do you know how to serve people? Do you know how to communicate with people? Are you willing to do some wine courses? Because you can teach people how to serve wine, but you can't teach people how to be hospitable. Hmm. So it, that's get, as long as they've got the passion and she's going to go do diploma, you know, who knows where she's going to end up. Actually, I think she's going to go to MS, but I'm happy. I'm happy with which whatever pathway she goes. But for a headsom, they must have done WSCT or MS. It's they don't have mm. to be a master, but you know that you want them one or two levels down or studying because they need to be curious and they they're leading their team. So I expect them to mentor and educate mm. the people under them as well. Yeah. So I love that. And they also, I think, you know, when you when you go
0: through a program like that. I think there's there's a lot to learn in the fact that whatever path you go down, you have to play the game that you've decided to go down. And there's something, I think, in that of, like, needing people to be flexible and malleable and saying, you know, maybe that's not how it works in the restaurant and it, but you have to learn it because this is the exam that you're about to pass or whatever. And I think that there's, there's something when people are going, I'm going to go for this and put it on the line that um, –
1: you know they are—they're making themselves vulnerable, aren't they? Yes, that's a good place to be though. Sometimes because that's mm. when you're challenged and you probably perform at your best. You surprise yourself as well. Mm. but life's here to live. You got to live it. Take a chance. You know, if you fail, you just pick yourself up and you have another go. Yeah, I think that. Um. Yeah, failing,
0: it's just such a part of life, isn't it? Like you see it all the time and, and i we almost need to rebrand the word because it's not about that, it's trying and then having to try again. But, yeah, it's just to be afraid of, of not being able to, to – do something the first time. It is crazy, you know. Um, I do want to ask you if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? I feel like I might know some, but I'm always happy to be surprised. So, tell me about what you want to drink today.
1: Well, wine would definitely be there, (laughs) no matter what. Um, And if I had to pick one variety, it would be Chardonnay because it's delicious and it can be a champagne, it can be a a a beautiful Chablis or it can be a, 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 you know, a classic Australian Chardonnay with, you know, restraint and purity. So definitely wine, Um, but Chardonnay would be definitely my pick of wine. Um, But I tried to be, I'm just thinking like trying to think of categories and then gin because everyone likes gin. You can have it in a tonic, you can have it in a cocktail. So that's another one. And I don't really drink much beer and I only drink one beer and everyone is mortified that I drink Corona. It's the only beer I drink. So if I had to have three on my desert island, I'd like some Coronas cold because I'd have one and then maybe I'd have a gin and tonic and then I would just drink Chardonnay. Corona, that... That is the first
0: I've heard of a Corona, but, you know, ice cold, they're definitely smashable and
1: uh, see, you did surprise me. I love it. It's, it's a wine drinker's beer because it doesn't taste like beer. <laughs> That's great.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Annette, I adore every chat I have with you. You're one of the most easy people to speak to and just, you know, your brain and your heart are just Inspiring. So, thank you so much for spending some time. Thank you for all the times that we tried to do this and the internet was failing us. I really appreciate you, and uh, it's been an amazing chat today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Shante. It was wonderful to talk to you. You're very easy to talk to as well, you know. You get a lot of things out of people, which is probably why you do this.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, I love it. Cheers
0: to you, Annette. Have a great day. This is Over a Glass.